The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. Christmas, for many people, can be a time of deep brokenness and sadness and pain. And the message of Christmas is that God visits us in our pain. He entered a world in Jesus, very much like ours. Just a few days now before Christmas, and we turn our thoughts toward why we celebrate. Dan Darling, the author of The Characters of Christmas, will help us do that as you join us now for First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. In addition to this radio edition of the program, there's a podcast release, which is widely available on many podcast platforms. We also have a free smartphone app, which you can download and use whenever and wherever you like. Just search for First Person Interview in your app store. You may not be traveling as much this holiday season, but if you are, why not download any of our long list of interviews using the free smartphone app and take them with you on the go. Of course, you can also stream these interviews at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And before we get to today's interview, next week's program will be the last of 2020, so we are preparing to look back at a few of this year's interview highlights, and we'll be presenting those next week, including an excerpt from our time with Johnny Tata. We'll also feature a clip of our conversation with Philip Yancey, the story of Peter Jasek, who was in prison for his faith, and the testimony of Victor Oktaroff of the Far East Broadcasting Company. That program coming to you next week here on First Person, our final program of the year 2020. Well, Dan Darling is now Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Religious Broadcasters, but he's here with us to talk about his book, The Characters of Christmas. I'm a uh, author and pastor, and I, I'm also, uh, I've been writing for most of my life uh, for a variety of places, you know, Christianity Today, Gospel Coalition, uh, Home Life Magazine, different places like that, and uh, always, always been connected in the church. And also in the public square, you always kind of had a foot in each, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like that's that. kind of where I like to be. Yeah, I like I really, to be too. You know, I've grown up, grew up going to church. I love church. I love the church. I'm, you know, there's a it's fashionable today for people to hate on the church, and there's a lot of criticism. But man, I just love Sundays. I love the church, and I love the public square. You know, mm-hmm. I love trying to shape ideas and help Christians think through that. So that's kind of always where I've been situated. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, having written several books, what in the world prompted you to write about Christmas when it seems like everything that can be said about Christmas has been said already? You know, I I just have always loved Christmas. I I love when December rolls around and just everybody is thinking about Christmas. And it's, it's the one time of year, as secular as the world is today, that people stop and at least have to acknowledge that Christ was born. Um... I've always loved reading through the the Christmas narratives in the Gospels and reading through the prophets and talking about the the prophecies of of, of Christ to come, um, and and this this book you know what writing this characters of Christmas, you know I love character profiles. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I would love listening to preaching by guys like Chuck Swindoll where they would profile characters, you know Joseph and David. I was just riveted by that. Um, and so I thought, what would it look like to profile, you know, all these ordinary people that we see around our nativity set, right? Um, what their lives must have been like. You know, you know, 2,000 years later, we, 
we know these people and they're famous, you know, the innkeeper or the, you know, uh, Anna and Simeon or Joseph and Mary or the wise men. But in that first century, I mean, they were just regular people whose lives were just kind of all of a sudden dramatically changed by the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I wanted to look and see, like, what was their life like? What what, must it have been like? And how did each, you know, each of their lives point to Christ? Yes. And what did each of their lives say about the kingdom of God, yeah. the kind of kingdom that Christ was bringing. Yeah. Well, when I picked up your book, I fully expected that I'd be reading about Mary and Joseph, and you do write about them yeah. and write some insightful things about them, and we won't have time to talk about every character uh, portrait that you write about in your book, but you also tell some interesting stories about some others. Uh, for instance, a group, the angels. Right. How often do we think about the angels' role in the Christmas story? It's really uh, amazing to think about their perspective, right? So First Peter talks about how the you know the gospel story is so precious that the angels long to experience it. They they can't right because the gospel story is right. for human beings. Yeah. It's for image bearers. Uh, image you know humans are God's highest prize. Well, the angels have a courtside seat to the whole plan of redemption from God. You know, from the creation all the way to Revelation to the end of the age, and and for them to watch the twists and turns of this of all this happening, and so I try to take their perspective. And it's interesting; the Christmas story is is really um, told in many ways by angels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, you know, God had not spoken to to Israel in four hundred years. Uh, there's no, there was no prophetic announcements. There was no. There, there, he was silent. Yeah. So they give the breakthrough. All of a big sudden, yeah, yeah. The the first angelic appearance is you know to to Zechariah in the temple, and then the angel comes to Mary, right, to, to make that announcement, and then twice to Joseph, which I always think is funny <laughs> that Joseph needed two visits and Mary needed one, and it says something I, about the difference between men and I women. I know where right? you're heading with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then the announcement to the shepherds in, in, in the field. You know the this the heavens are lit up with angels announcing the birth the long-awaited promise um and then an angel tells uh joseph to flee an angel goes to the wise men and tells them not to tell herod and so there's you, you see all through this they're present but yeah. for believers i think it's good for us to step back and see it from their perspective this long story of god's redemptive plan right that's what i hope we can accomplish with this conversation because we've romanticized christmas stories so mm-hmm. many ways with traditions yes. and the way mm-hmm. we re- even read the gospels we need to take that step back and to look at them at it with fresh eyes and that's what you're helping us to do yeah absolutely and christmas in many ways is we've sentimentalized it and and i think some of that's good so sure. I'm not I don't I, I don't think Christians should be cranks, oh, you know. No, no. Sometimes we are, you know, and we should be the most joyful people because this is this is the story of of our savior's birth. This is the the beginning of the kingdom of God, the renewing and restoring the world. But Christmas is not just a sweet story. It's it's a it's a subversive uh, message that this king has come into the world to turn the kingdoms of this world upside down. I mean, yeah. if you read Mary's prayer, oh, it's not a sweet sweet little prayer you put on coffee mugs. She's <laughs> talking about kingdoms being subverted and, and you know, the uh, the wicked will be overthrown and all these things. Um, it's also a story of hope. Christmas, for many people, can be a time of deep brokenness and sadness and pain. Mm-hmm. And the message of Christmas is that God visits us in our pain, in our hardship. He entered a world in Jesus very much like ours, it is 
swirling around with sin and brokenness and violence and corruption at every level. And the me- one of the messages of Christmas is that God visits us in our pain, mm. in our sorrow. And so if, if you're coming to Christmas this year, maybe not looking forward to it, maybe you've had a broken relationship or maybe you um, financial problems, maybe you've lost your job. I don't, I don't know what, what it would be. Um, the Christmas story is for you, mm. right? It's not just uh, sweet sentiment. Yeah. Well, you're right about the angels. You're right about the shepherds. And mm-hmm. I'll have to restrain myself as a shepherd from not yes. asking more about the shepherds. Yeah. But uh, interestingly, you focus on someone that, I mean, we think there's an innkeeper involved in the story. Right. But is there really? You know, I've gone back and forth on that. And I and I and when I was, you know, studying this, um, throughout church history, people have People have been mixed on this. Was was there an innkeeper? Uh, what was the conditions that they were born in? You know, some have felt like he was an inn, an actual inn, like you see in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where there's a roadside inn, which were common in those days. Uh, some people think it might have been just like a cave, right? Others have said, well, maybe they stayed with family and friends. So we don't really, there's not an actual person, the innkeeper. But when you read Luke's account, he does make a point of saying that there was no room. You know, that it was... So somebody delivered the news. Someone had to be there to deliver the news. And what I try to do here is to say, imagine whoever the proprietor of that place is, whether it's an inn or a cave or whatever, you know, he he's there. It's just another night. People are flooding into town for the census. He's tired. He's weary. He's probably wanting to go to bed. Here's another couple that comes by. To him, it's just another night, another couple, another yeah. baby. We always vilify him, don't we? Yeah, and his life would be dramatically changed. I mean, that couple, that weary couple, banging on the door, that pregnant woman, you know, carrying the Son of God that would, you know, in his establishment was the the King of Kings, right? It wasn't in Rome and it wasn't in Jerusalem and Herod's palace. It was in his house. And so imagine just to be there as that person, uh, shepherds coming to worship and all all the all these things. Uh, what that must have been like for him. Yeah. So you point out these unlikely characters mm-hmm. of Christmas in your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- what is so interesting to me is how how much it tells us about the kingdom of God. You have Mary, who's a peasant girl, probably fourteen, just minding her own business. Um, visited by the angel and she she's the one who would bear the son of god after 400 years of of silence after mothers always dreamed of having the son of god and she's the one joseph is an ordinary carpenter who's just faithful and always does the next right thing um the shepherds are very ordinary and sometimes outcasts uh and yet in the shepherds we see that you know God chose to make his announcement to them, I believe, because he's telling us what kind of king this would be. Mm-hmm. Shepherds are a motif throughout the Bible of leadership. God says he's the good shepherd. David says the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus later says I'm the good shepherd. Also, they were tending to sheep who would likely be used as a f- sacrifice in the temple. Oh. And here's the announcement that the final sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God that takes, away the, that. that takes away the sins of the world, right? Uh, comes to them. So I think it's profound. And then you just see Anna and Simeon, you see Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, Even the outsiders are noblemen and wise, but they're outsiders. It's interesting that 
outsiders teach us how to worship more than the insiders mm. do. They come and they worship. So I think it tells us something about the kingdom of God that the kind of people God included in this story. And we'll continue talking about the characters of Christmas with author Dan Darling as you stay with us now for First Person. I'm so grateful for the grace I received while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Daniel Darling, the author of The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. It's a great Christmas read. It's from Moody Publishers. We'll have information about uh, Daniel's book on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. A few moments ago, you mentioned Simeon and Anna, and I wanted to ask about them because obviously there's such a brief moment in the gospel yeah. uh, account of, uh, of bringing the, the child, but um, so important and so interesting. First of all, Simeon. Yeah, I mean, Simeon... It's mysterious because we don't know much about him uh, other than that he's waiting in the temple year after year waiting for that Christ child. And I think he's included partly to let us know there were some people who read the prophecies. a remnant, yes. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Who understood, maybe not everything, but they understood about a virgin birth. They understood about a child, as it says in Isaiah. Um, they understood that as he told Mary... A sword will pierce your soul. They understood that he would have to die. Mm-hmm. And what he pronounces over Mary and over, over Jesus. What I just love about him, he, he, we don't know much about him. He just appears on, this, on the stage. He's in this there drama. and gone. Yeah. Uh, but his words, after seeing Jesus, now I can die. And there's such a message there that once he's met Jesus, he is ready, uh, ready to, to die. He's at peace with, with God. And what a great message that is for us, right? If once you've met Jesus, mm-hmm. you're at peace with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I call that chapter, you know, their bucket list, right? That, that was <laughs> the one thing they wanted to cross off is to meet uh-huh. Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's Anna, right? Yeah, Anna. And, you know, in uh, I'm not going to go into the conversation here, but the current uh, conversation about uh, the role of women in the church. Right. And here we have Anna pop up in the yeah. scriptures. Yeah. And it's interesting how many times women do appear, even in the Christmas narrative, as key players. Uh, Anna prophesies over Jesus a blessing. We know even less about I her. I was going to say the same thing. We know far less about her. We think maybe she was a, um, a widow. If you think about widows at those times, there wasn't a social safety net. There wasn't much care for them. Probably probably not real wealthy, didn't have any means. Mm-hmm. Think about them sitting in the temple, you know, day after day. People probably think they're a little crazy. Oh, yeah, they think the Messiah is going to come. They think it's going to be the one. Everyone probably thought they were nuts, a little bit a little bit crazy. And But they were listening to the Spirit of God. And when that day comes, it, it the spirit telling them this is the this is the day uh what a what a great like they had unbelievable faith at a time of deep cynicism in israel when people had lost all hope and they had they had clung to the hope that everything they had read in the prophets everything god had god had said would happen would happen mm-hmm. 
they add such richness to the story, though. Yeah. As as brief as briefly mm-hmm. as they're mentioned, it's so wonderful to have those those accounts there. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, the, the the people that if we were scripting it, and it's this is the announcement of the coming of the Son of God, we would not have chosen these kinds of people. No. Uh, people who didn't have much power in society. Think of a widow. Think of shepherds. Mm-hmm. Think of outsiders like uh, the wise men, Mary and Joseph. Really nobody with that much power and agency. We would not have entrusted this to yeah. those people, right? Well, let's talk about one of the villains mm. of the Christmas story, and that's Herod, of course. Yeah. The chief villain. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, every Christmas story that we love has a antagonist. That have, has a villain, right? Think about, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. It's Mr. Potter. <laughs> Think about The Grinch that stole Christmas. Think about all the Hallmark movies my wife is going to consume this Christmas. <laughs> yeah. There's always a villain, right? It's usually, you know, this evil developer that's going to kick out the, the Christmas store that's going out of business. And There's always a villain. And I think that that goes to our longing. We understand there's a there's a battle between good and evil. And Herod is the, is the original Grinch of Christmas, if you will, um, he he thinks he has power uh, because he, you know, he, he the baby Jesus uh, threatens him. So, whereas the the wise men worship Jesus, Herod is threatened by Jesus. Uh, he's threatened that he's going to take his power. He's part of a long line of Satan trying to thwart God's plan. If you go all the way back through Scripture and that, all the way back to Genesis where God predicted that there'd be this battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And this is the, Herod is just one more in the seed of the serpent trying to nip at the heels of of uh, the seed of the woman. And yet he is thwarted, right? He He does this horrible murderous thing to kill these babies in Bethlehem, but he does not he cannot defeat the Son of God. So he thinks he has power because he's the king of, king of Israel. But this baby, to this peasant couple, th- this baby actually is the, is the real king. And I think Matthew contrasts these on purpose. Matthew starts with, here's Jesus as king. He's the rightful son of David. He's the rightful king. Here's Herod. And just contrasting that Jesus is a different kind of king. He doesn't rule the way that... the uh, kings of this earth rule, and then you also have you know the the kings from the east or the wise men, and they're willing to come and let go of their power and obey the spirit of God and bow and worship um, this this infant, right? And so I think he's showing just kind of the kingdom of God is different than the kings of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to let uh, readers read about Mary and Joseph, mm-hmm. some of the likely characters uh, right. in their Christmas story, but you still write about them in your book, and mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Each year, I, I look for a Christmas reading mm-hmm. that will just kind of bring a fresh outlook yeah. on the season for me, and this year it's your book, Dan. So well, I appreciate thank that. Thank you for yeah. doing that. Uh, but I do want to talk about, interestingly, you talk about the members of Jesus' family. Mm-hmm. you want to get specific there? Yeah, so I think I have a... Uh, a, a couple chapters are talking about Jesus, the, you know, the genealogy of Jesus, and and I think for some of us when we get to the genealogies in Matthew and Luke, it's yeah, kind we of, glaze over, our eyes glaze over. Yeah. It's like, okay, what's next? But there's a profound statement being made by Matthew, particularly I think, um, in when he traces Jesus' genealogy and the kind of people he includes. Um, 
I mean, so first of all, he's making a statement that Jesus is the rightful son of David. Even if you take the, um, you know, he chooses three sets of 14 generations, you know, this, uh, and if you take, take the way that is arranged, uh, it actually forms the, f- the first letters of mm-hmm. David's name, which is really- Have you really, ever preached on these really, passages? I have, yeah. And it's really profound. So people reading that in his day would, would know right automatically. This is what Matthew's declaring. Jesus is the king, the, the promised one. There's no doubt about it. And he, he's the rightful son of David. But also the people he included. So Matthew profiles four women in particular, in which, first of all, to have women named in a genealogy was, was an uncommon thing. Typically, uh, you know, the family was represented mm-hmm. by, the, by the head of the, the man mm-hmm. as the head of the household. But Matthew includes these four women. Um, so if you think of Tamar, her story, she, you know, she was a, a, a victim of rape. Uh, you think of um, you think of Bathsheba. You think of um, Ruth, um, and you think of all these all these women. Um, and what's interesting is all of them, in some ways, kind of have a. And you think of Rahab as well. Yeah. Rahab's the outsider. <laughs> Rahab, um, but demonstrates her faith by saving the spies, marries into the family of David, right? Um, each of these women have kind of a check mark on their, uh, a checkered past. Uh, they're not the kind of people, if you were a proud Jewish person, that you'd want to say, hey, these are in my family tree, mm-hmm. right? Like when we, when we do a, you know, ancestry.com or something, we're trying to look for, okay, am I related to somebody famous, somebody noble, this is the opposite of that. Hmm. But it's making a statement about, the again, the kind of kingdom that Jesus would have that he has come to save sinners. Yeah, we don't associate them with a the Christmas story, but without them... There is no Christmas story. Exactly. Yeah. And the kind of people that Jesus has in his family as a sign of the kind of people that will be in his new family, that Jesus, uh, the gospel is about welcoming outsiders, sinners, outcasts. And truly, if we really understand the gospel... We have to see ourselves in those people, that we are the Rahabs and the Tamars and the Bathshebas and, and the Ruths that are outsiders, that are too sinful to be part of the family of God. And yet, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are now made into his new family. Well, there's much more in the book, and I wish we had time to discuss it all, but it is there in written form for our listeners, and I highly recommend it. Daniel Darling, thank you for coming to the studio and uh, well, having this having Christmas me. conversation to get us ready yes. for this season. Well, thank you for having me, and I love love the show and love the, the kinds of kinds of people and interviews and stories that you feature here. It's always important to take a fresh look at the Christmas story, and our guest Dan Darling has helped us do that. His book, Retelling the Stories of Christmas, is titled The Characters of Christmas, The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. We'll have a link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. Another ministry that has great stories to tell of God at work in this world is the Far East Broadcasting Company. It's no stretch to say that millions of people tune in each day to FEBC's programs, which are always heard in the local language. The gospel is proclaimed and God's word is taught by indigenous broadcasters who love to serve their listeners. Please take a few moments online to visit febc.org and learn more by watching a few videos which tell these stories. That's febc.org until all have heard. And don't forget to join us online at firstpersoninterview.com. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, Merry Christmas. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.